My sermon today then is on forgiveness. I'm going to be drawn from that passage and from all over the place, really. One of the interesting side effects of living in Northern Ireland is that the legacy of the Troubles has meant that forgiveness is given a lot of airtime on radio and TV in a way that I've never heard in the Republic. People talk about it more. It's interesting, isn't it? And it's good, because forgiveness is a vital pillar of the Christian faith. It's absolutely fundamental. Fundamental. It's undoable. It's a complete necess- completely necessary Christian practice. In fact, it's fair to say that in the same way some doctrines are non-negotiable, like the divinity of Christ or the Trinity, and to stray outside of the accepted understandings of these doctrines qualifies you to question whether the person doing the straying is a Christian... So in the same way, to find someone for whom the practice of forgiveness is non-existent, likewise throws up similar questions about the nature of their faith. Are they actually a Christian if they're not forgiving? Forgiveness is one of those practices that functions, I believe, as a barometer of the depth of our faith in a way that none of the rest of the moral imperatives that are placed upon us because of our faith in Christ do. Simply put then, the extent to which one understands and practices forgiveness will reveal correctly, I believe, the extent to which one loves Jesus and loves the things of God. This is kind of serious. And one of the reasons I feel happy to stand behind that statement is because that's what the Word of God teaches. And we're going to be mostly looking at this parable here in chapter 18, but in the rest of it that I read earlier, Jesus is teaching the disciples some very basic but profound ideas about life in a Christian community. Firstly, Jesus is asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he gives them an answer by talking about children. And through them, he highlights our need to imitate them, by which I think most commentators have said that means that we must be humble and dependent on God just as they are. He goes on then to make a number of very stark warnings. And of course, he is not here just speaking of children, but Christians in general. Perhaps he's talking about Christians who are perceived as being weak in some way. But whatever the case they be, these little ones, as he calls them, are deeply loved by the Father. And anyone who welcomes them welcomes Jesus. And anyone who causes them to stumble will be better off not having been born. That's what he says. It's here that he says to pluck out your eye or cut off your hand if it's causing you to sin. That command is not just about personal holiness, but in context it's a command to be pure so that those around you will not be tempted and sin. We must do our utmost to live lives free from sin. Why? Because God cares about these little ones that surround us. Our actions aren't just about us. We live in a community. The implication is that we should care for the people around us too. And at which point then uh, he gives us the also fairly well-known teaching regarding how you deal with Christians who are sinning against you. You speak to them once, you bring others, and you bring the church. And if they still don't listen to you, you've got to treat them as if they're not a Christian. This discipline is aimed at loving people around us. We speak to them about their sin for their benefit. It's all, it's this community living is the, the theme. So really, the context of this parable that we're going to look at is Jesus is strongly teaching that God 
views our lives and our holiness with which we live them under the heading of how our lives affect the lives of the brothers and sisters around us. And it's into this discussion that Peter asks his question. If my brother sins against me, how often should I forgive him? Up to seven times? And of course, Peter, who's always the sharpest and the quickest to see the implications of things, not that he always gets it right, but he sees implications fairly quickly, he says, you know, hold on there, Jesus. If I'm supposed to be living my life almost completely with consideration for the holiness of those around me, and I love them all the time, well, what happens when they do stuff to me? Am I supposed to forgive them seven times? To which, of course, Jesus replies, no, not seven, 77 times. And the point he's making is clear. There, there is no limit. And then he tells this story that I've just read. And again, I, I, I think, as you think of what Jesus is saying here, don't, don't forget the context. This is a stark warning in the midst of other stark warnings. The tone hasn't changed. He was deadly serious about caring for the Christians around you, and he still is. So what, what is this serious thing he's saying? Well, I'm told that 10,000 talents is effectively a nonsensical number. It's, it's like saying a gazil- the guy owed a gazillion. But the grace that was shown him by forgiving him this gazillion doesn't rub off on him. And the contrast that Jesus makes here is that whereas he was forgiven the debt of a small country, he does not forgive a man who owes him a hundred denarii, which is actually a quantifiable number. A denarii is a day's wage. So we're talking about a hundred days, which is between a third and a quarter of your annual income, right? And uh, the minimum wage for a Presbyterian minister is 21,000 sterling. I'm led to believe which is probably where I'm heading. So we'll say between seven and 5,000 pounds is what he was asked to deal with, right? To forgive. Now, if someone asked me to forgive a debt of, let's say, seven grand, or if someone asked you to forgive seven grand, just write that off for me. It's no joke, yeah? You're not going to do that so easily. But if you had just, only the day before, been forgiven the complete GDP of the Republic of Ireland... And then you got snippy about that seven grand. What does that say about you or me? Well, it says two things. Firstly, the grace that was shown to me has not affected my own character. And secondly, I seem to have no understanding of how how serious my own sins were. Jesus doesn't elaborate on it here, but instead he assumes that it is self-evident that any sins against God can correctly be compared to a nonsensical number of sins deserving the most serious of punishment. Furthermore, the debt owed to the man himself is not minor. So Jesus knows that although the sins done against us are not minor, nor something that should be discounted, the point is in in comparison to what we've done to God, however bad the thing's done to us, what we do to God is simply not in the same league. The simple point really of this parable is that in light of God's forgiveness for us, Jesus demands that we are to be a community that practices forgiveness. And secondly, if we do not forgive others, big problem. Big, big problem. Every day all over the world, people pray the Lord's Prayer. 
But I wonder how many of them know the words that Jesus says directly after it. Right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So we have to forgive. And also, if we do not forgive, it is a sign, a very clear sign, that we fail to understand the seriousness and the amount of our own sins. But more importantly, we've seriously failed to understand just how much he loves us. The unmerciful servant is a parable that stresses the negative side of not forgiving. But in doing so, it also expresses the wonder of God's love for us. If our sins are so offensive and, and they are the amount that they are, then for God to forgive us these things is amazing. So I, I fully am okay with saying that the presence of forgiveness in our lives is a good barometer for an understanding of how much you have been forgiven. As you may remember from Christoph's talk a couple of weeks ago about the Pharisee and the prostitute, he who has been forgiven little loves little. So we must forgive. But what is it? I, I, uh, what is forgiveness? I think it's been helpful for me to conceive of it, of it in terms of payment and punishment. Uh, if someone wrongs you or hurts you, in the natural order of things, punishment must be met out for the offense. The punishment comes in the form of a payment, which is appropriate for the act that was done. Forgiveness, then, is fairly simple. Instead of the offender paying the payment, or paying the punishment, sorry, the person who was offended pays. That's what the cross is all about. We should have been up there, but instead the one who we sinned against went up there. Now, of course, that begs the question then, well, how do we forgive? So a very, you know, my, my, my explanation there is kind of dry, you know, payment and punishment. But even if you accept it, how do you do it? How do we make the payment instead of the one who has offended making the payment? I think it would be helpful if we talk first about what it's not and then I'll talk about what it is. Forgiveness is not trying to forget about it. Forgetting is a part of it. Um, you do forget things over the years. But forgiveness is not solely an attempt at forgetting. When we try to forget what has happened to us without facing up to it, that stuff doesn't go away. This is a familiar theme in TV and cinema. The repressed feelings of anger and hurt. I've been dealing with a, a family member of mine in this way. And instead of forgiving them, I've been trying to forget and let it slide or minimizing it, which is another way of trying to forget. Christmas a year ago, this person did something to me. And I, <clears throat> I really didn't take it on board at all. For a while anyway, but then it just got to me, you know. And uh, eventually I felt I really needed to say something to them, and I tried to talk to them about it, but they not only refused to own up to what I was saying, but they actually used it and turned it back on me. And I exploded. Like, I haven't got that angry with another adult in 20 years. Now, I couldn't say that it came out of nowhere. Uh, it had been bubbling up for a while, but it was the refusal to really face it, the continual blocking it out that made it fester up inside me 
until it burst out into the open with me, you know, cursing her out of it. Another thing that forgiveness is not, another thing that I like to do is I try to be civil to people when they've hurt me, but on the inside, I treat them with disdain. Uh, Elaine Brown, you won't know who she is, was a girl that I was into big time in college. She was a part of a group that I hung out with, and it was kind of obvious that I liked her. But anyhow, over the space of a weekend, I broke up with my own girlfriend because I told her, well, I'm actually into this Elaine girl. And the next night, we were out, and another friend in my group, his name was Keith, he and I were real close. He was a good friend, and I saw Keith, you know, he was putting the moves on her. And I knew something was going on between them, but it wasn't up until he came up to me in the nightclub and he said, hey, Rich, uh, is it all right for you if me and Elaine get together? I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, he told me to leave in a polite way and uh, not so polite way. And he walked off and I just couldn't believe it. You know, the sense of betrayal was so deep and that was the end of our friendship. But I was always civil to him. I'd see him around and I'd say hello, but that was it. I didn't want to do anything with him. Now you could say, well done, you didn't get in a fight. That happens a lot. You could say, oh, well, you didn't talk bad about him. Yeah, but on the inside, I couldn't stand him. And I tore him up on the inside every time I saw him. That's not forgiveness either. Not being outwardly bad to a person is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a once-off thing. This thing with my family member of mine, that's been going on for a long, long time. And I recently actually was reading something I wrote about this person in a journal 10 years ago. And what I had written, I had their name, and I said, I need to forgive them. That was 10 years ago. And it's still happening, it's still going on. Although actually, it's not so bad the last couple of months, but I still have to forgive them every time. Forgiveness is not conditional on the other person's repentance. One discussion that I've come across a few times in Northern Ireland is this very topic, because there are a lot of people here who will justify what they did during the Troubles on the basis that they were in a war or that they were defending their community. These people don't ask for forgiveness and they're not repentant over what they've done. And I've heard people say that you don't have to forgive people who don't ask for forgiveness, especially murderers, and especially people who still stand over what they did. But Jesus teaches us you must forgive. It's not dependent on them asking for us. We can forgive people even if they don't want us, even if they don't recognize us. That's probably a good place because I'm sure you have some questions to shift gears to talk about what actually is it then. It's also a good place to make three very important clarifications. Firstly, in some of the more serious sins, say like murder or abuse, I am not asking that you move to forgive them today. Maybe you can, and that's great if you can. But to fully forgive, to truly forgive, the hurt that was done to you, it's got to be acknowledged And that, for some things, particularly the really hard ones, is usually a process. It can take time, and I don't want to rush you into something that God treats very seriously. Remember, 
<clears throat> there is at least a few thousand years between the Garden of Eden and the cross, and the Bible says that Jesus came at exactly the right time. So don't rush it. Secondly, forgiveness does not mean that we should do not, or the entailment of us to forgive does not mean that we do not seek justice, or what we do, or that we do not challenge the people on their behavior. Remember that one of the, the pieces of speech that precipitates this parable is Jesus, Jesus telling us to go and speak to our brothers who have sinned against us. So we certainly aren't saying that uh, we don't want you to seek justice. And then lastly, and let me be quite clear about this, in a few minutes I'm going to ask you to forgive someone if you need to. But if that person you need to forgive is doing something that is harmful to you, you do not need to let that continue. In fact, you need to stop it from happening today, if possible. Forgiveness does not entail you letting yourself stay in a place where you are being harmed. So with that out of the way, let's look at what it does entail. As I understand it, there's two aspects. Firstly, to forgive someone means that you refuse to make them pay. And secondly, often at the very same time, you got to pay the price instead. I tell you, folks, I hate this bit. It's, it's so much easier to let it go, to fester on it, to ignore it, to hide from it. When this person I was telling you about earlier... When they're in the room with me, sometimes I shut down, I go silent. I've spoken so many times, bared my heart to them on a number of occasions only to get nothing in return. And that hurts. And it's hard to love again and again. Especially when you know there's a good chance that not only will it not be appreciated, but it might even be used against you. But, my friends, that is the way of the cross. That's what we're called to. Let no one say otherwise. Jesus didn't just refuse to deal with us as we deserve. He moved towards us. He came down to earth. He lived as close to humanity as is possible. And for every waking moment of his life, he loved us. Even when he was on the cross, he looked down at his accusers and he prayed for them. Let me read this quote, which I think, I might have used it before here, actually, not sure. This quote, I think, illustrates how we can pay the price instead of making the hurter or the person who sinned against us pay the price. It goes like this. Once upon a time, it's not me, no. Once upon a time, I was engaged to a young woman who changed her mind. I forgive her, but only in small sums over a year. They were made whenever I spoke to her and refrained from rehashing the past. Whenever I renounced jealousy and self-pity when I saw her with another man. Whenever I praised her to others when I, what I really wanted to do was slice away at her reputation. Those were the payments, but she never saw them. And her own payments to me were unseen by me, but I do know that she did them. I know she forgave me. Forgiveness is more than a matter of refusing to hate someone. It's also a matter of choosing to demonstrate love and acceptance to the offender. 
Pain is the consequence of sin. There is no easy way to deal with it. But wood, nails, and pain are the currency of forgiveness, the love that heals. End quote. It's good, isn't it? The big point here is that forgiveness entails not just soaking up the rubbish that they've given us, but putting ourselves in positions where we can love them. At least that's the I know it's so hard, but that's the goal. The last thing I want to look at is very brief. This has been longer than usual, but we're nearly there. Forgiveness is powerful. Jesus said, people will know you are a disciple by how you love one another. Loving people who have sinned against you is a powerful sign of the kingdom that we're in. Do you know how many churches are blown apart because of people falling out with each other? Some of you have been in them. A good few. How many of them would have stayed together had people involved learned to just forgive each other well, or even a little? Some of them, right? Listen to the power in this story. This is the last thing. I saw it on a video last year. You might remember in 2006, uh, a man called Charles Roberts went into an Amish school in the USA, and he murdered five little girls and seriously injured five others. Remember this story? No? He was the milkman in a local Amish community, uh, though he was not, and his wife was not, a part of that community. And the following is a quote from uh, an article about the whole incident. On the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning some young relatives not to hate the killer, saying, we must not think evil of this man. Another Amish father noticed he had a mother and a wife and a soul and now he's standing before a just God. Jack Meyer, a member of the Brethren community living near the Amish in Lancaster County, said, I don't think there's anyone here that wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out to those who suffered a loss in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. A Roberts family spokesman said, that an Amish neighbor comforted the Roberts family hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. Community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, parents, and parents-in-law, and one Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms, reportedly for as long as an hour, to comfort him. The Amish have also set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter, and about 30 members of the Amish community attended the shooter's funeral, and Marie Roberts, the widow of the killer, was one of the few outsiders invited to the funeral of one of the victims. This lady, Marie Roberts, the widow of the killer, wrote an open letter to our Amish neighbours, thanking them for their forgiveness, grace and mercy. She wrote, Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts you have given have touched our hearts in a way that no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family beyond our community, and is changing our world. And for this, we sincerely thank you. We, we, we must forgive, folks, because we were forgiven. We must forgive because it's one way, a crucial way, that we love people and we have been commanded to love. And we must forgive because it's a sign to the world around us and to ourselves of the world to come. Do you have someone you need to forgive, maybe for the first time. Maybe you've done it many times before. 
I commend you to start or to start again. That's it.